Hey, it's Jordan. We'll fire up the Chill Factory in about 20 seconds. First, I want to make sure that you have the Chill Factory app. It's an amazing podcast companion that helps you relax between episodes and forever. Stay tuned to the end of this episode because I'll be giving a special password so that you and 99 other listeners can use all of the Chill Factory app's features for free. But that's our role as a parent. That's why we're not their friends. We're their parents. It's our obligation to make sure that they'll be safe and they'll be secure and know that we'll get them help as soon as needed. Welcome to The Chill Factory, where we make life smoother. I'm Jordan Friedman. As we were putting together this episode, the U.S. Surgeon General issued a rare warning about the state of mental health of our young people. He talked about how rates of anxiety and depression and suicide were skyrocketing prior to 2020, but then talked about how the pandemic has been like pouring gasoline on an already out-of-control fire. Many national organizations and associations that support the well-being of young people agree that we are now in a mental health emergency when it comes to young people. Here's just one statistic to support all of that. In early 2021, the number of emergency room visits because of suicide attempts by young girls increased 51% as compared to 2019. So if you're a parent or a family member or a caregiver or you just care about kids, it's easy to see why you might be stressed out right now. And it can be even more anxiety producing because sometimes we think our kids are okay, but then we hear about these statistics and we read about a celebrity suicide and we wonder, are they okay? And this is why I'm doing this episode called Worried About My Younger Kid, just a few weeks after the episode Worried About My College Kid. And like that episode, this one focuses on how and when to talk to your younger kids about their mental health. We're really lucky to be able to talk about this with Scott Bloom. Scott is a psychotherapist who, for the past 30 years, has focused his work on the intersection of mental health, communities, and schools. He was founding director of school mental health services for the New York City Department of Education, implementing mental health initiatives for New York City's 1,800 schools. He serves on advisory boards for city, state, and national mental health initiatives around the country, and is currently director of special projects and initiatives for the New York Psychotherapy and Counseling Center. Scott, welcome to the Chill Factory. Thank you, Jordan. Pleasure to be here today. Scott, if you're a parent or a caregiver, do you have to notice or feel that something is going on with your kid's mental health to to bring up the subject to say something? Yeah, that's a good question. And And I'm laughing because I think that parents do it every day without even thinking about it, Jordan. I don't think you need to be overt and ask them, you know, how's your mental health today? It's, it's a simple check-in that we do uh, when we say, you know, how was your day? Um, how are things going? You know, one of the things I do as a therapist when I'm working with our adolescents, at, at some point I'll say, so how's your head today? Where's your head at? 
and and they know what I'm really asking there is, you know, what's what's going on with them? What are they thinking about? You don't want to be too intrusive, but enough to show that you're 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 caring about them. And what can parents and and others look for or what should their awareness be tuned into? Yeah. And I think tuned into is, is, is the operative word there, Jordan. You know, parents and caretakers, they're the real experts. You know, they know their child better than a professional does. You know, as a, as a, a therapist, I might see the child once a week, but they see them 24-7. So they, they really know. And, and one of the ways that I help parents to, to see changes that go on, I, I use the analogy of mood is to climate and feelings are to weather. In other words, right now in the north northeast, our, our climate is it's pretty cold. It's winter up here, so there's typical in any day there's snow, it's cloudy, it's cold, it's 32 degrees. If you're in the southwest, it's sunny, it's clear, uh, it's bright, it's comfortable. That's the climate. The weather is what happens on a daily basis, right? It could be windy, it could be rainy, it could be humid. So that's the first way of considering your child's behaviors. Is the mood changing and are the feelings changing? The second thing you wanna think about is duration. How long has that change been happening? Is it a couple of days? Is it situational because something just happened to them recently? Or is it something that's happening constantly uh, or weeks at a time? And, and the, the, the last thing I'll say here is we know kids have typical behaviors. You know, elementary school kids are going to have typical behaviors, and so are adolescents. So we want to distinguish what are typical behaviors and, and what are red flags, right? And when you start to notice those changes, again, those changes um, may be atypical. Uh, one of the things we also need to remember is we have to rule out, is this because of COVID, right, which is, which is a real problem, or is this something, again, a little longer or something different? So if we're thinking about elementary school children, ages 5 to 12, you want to notice if there's excessive aggressiveness, excessive fears or phobias and refusals that have never happened before. You know, that's a, that's a red flag. If there are excessive or extended emotional reactions, or they regress to earlier behaviors, where all of a sudden you'll notice a, a, an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old having lots of nightmares. They may be wetting their bed, sucking their thumb, or uh, becoming more clingy, maybe want to sleep with you more often. That's a sign that there's, there's something going on. And with teenagers, you want to look for suicide and homicide ideation, excessive fighting or aggression, inability to cope with day-to-day -day activities, and also lots of somatic complaints, bodily complaints when there really is nothing medically wrong with them. And, and also, finally, risk-taking, that many of our, our adolescents, of course, it's, it's sort of typical to take risks, but when those risks become more and more dangerous, and they, they put themselves um, in danger or in harm's way. Scott, you brought up COVID, and it makes me wonder if you're a parent and you observe some of the 
things in your kid that you just mentioned. And you think, well, maybe this is because of COVID. It's been a really tough couple of years for them, for all of us. Uh, COVID seems to be receding. School is getting back to uh, more normal. Maybe I should just let this slide and see what happens. Is that a good strategy to follow? Well, I think it depends. Again, you know your child better than anyone else. One of the ways of checking what you're picking up on now that schools are open is to check with the folks at the schools. You know, the teachers, the school staff, they, they, they're with your child six hours a day for over 180 days a year in most cases. And schools are really part of the com- community. They pay it, play a key role in prevention. And it's often the first place that I tell a parent to go to. Remember, you know, they spend the majority of their time there and they, they see them in the hallway. They see them in all kinds of academic classes, activities, maybe after school programs. So as you're starting to notice some of the changes that I, that I spoke about, it might be useful to check in with a teacher. It's really reassuring because uh, sometimes parents feel that they have to deal with all of this on their own and they have work and they have other kids and other responsibilities, but there really is a team in place. Yes, you have to be assertive and ask questions and make phone calls and send emails, but there are people to help. And I want to pick up on something you started talking about before, and that is, how do you approach your child? What are the things you can say? How do you start a conversation about your concerns or about mental health in general? I love before when you said, where's your head at today? I thought that was a great way to uh, bring up this issue. But are there other things you can say, other tactics? Because yes, it's true. A lot of kids don't really want to talk about this or are only going to give you one word or two word answers, if that. You know, I'm a parent myself and I've had those conversations and they can be challenging. But one thing that I know for sure, and, you know, I I support and, and coach parents on all the time, is if they talk directly to their child about their concerns, if they speak from the heart about their concerns, and they tell them, I'm going to help you. We're going to get through this together. It's a beautiful way to set the stage and the foundation for any conversation that you have with your your children, because it takes away some of that stigma. And whether the child is ready to have that conversation, maybe not now, great, we'll have it when you're ready. You've, You've laid out with them, I'm here for you, I'm going to be uh, supportive of you, and I'm going to get you the help you need. Uh, Another great strategy is maybe for the first time, you're going to be telling the child, you know, when I was your age, let me tell you about the time where I was anxious or I had a challenge. Uh, Talk about stress. Everybody can identify with stress. You know, that I was so stressed out, but I got help and I got over it. With younger kids, we're talking about, you know, the the younger elementary school kids, sometimes using the analogy of a medical situation. 
can be very helpful. They may be feeling stressed or they're, or they're you know, down. And you say, you remember that time when you fell and you had that cut and that cut has healed? Well, I'm gonna help you heal with your feelings that you're dealing with right now. Another strategy that I suggest, particularly with, with adolescents, is it's not the, the last time you're gonna bring it up. You know, having frequent conversation, you know, touching base with your child about their experience is probably the best way, you know, to identify any new issues. You just say, hey, you know, I'm just checking in. Are you still good about what happened when we talked about? Or, you know, how's your, your counseling going with the therapist? Everything going well? Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, how, how an adolescent might answer. Great. Again, what you've done is you checked in, you put it on the table, and it's always there for you to go back and discuss it. You may not need to do more than that. And I assume it's okay to name things that you observe or or say to your child, hey, I noticed that you blank or, you know, I noticed that you are coming home earlier now or you're, you're not laughing as much as you usually do. Is everything okay? I know sometimes the kids get really sensitive because they think you're monitoring them too closely. It seems like sometimes you need to put some meat on the bones of what you're bringing up. Right. You might start the conversation and say, I notice that you don't seem yourself. Or I've noticed you've been really sad lately. You haven't been around a lot. That seems to be different. Is anything going on? One of the hardest things about being a parent is to have these conversations and to have some distance so you can really allow the conversation to unfold without judgment, without opinion, because it's a very sensitive conversation for them to have. And as you mentioned before with adolescents, you know, they see themselves as the center of the universe and everybody is looking at them. So at that moment, you know, they don't want to be the center of the universe, but they do when it comes to mental health and they want you to care for them. And so it's it it's a it it's tough, but stay in there because it's going to be worth it at the end. And what about suicide? In an earlier episode of the Chill Factory called "Worried About My College Kid," we talked about bringing up concerns about suicide to your college age kid, and even using the words, "Hey." I'm concerned about you. Are you thinking about harming yourself? Is it a good idea to bring up those same concerns with younger kids, you know, even elementary school kids, middle school kids, and of course, high school kids? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, Jordan, we're seeing younger kids um, thinking about suicide, uh, younger and younger. And so, we we have to bring that up you know um first and, and foremost it's really important for caregivers parents and uh to really not be afraid of asking the question so with little kids you might be asking you know are are you thinking of hurting yourself do you ever wish that you know you don't wake up from your sleep you know something that they can identify with you know, research has shown study after study that asking somebody, are you thinking about suicide, doesn't lead 
to suicide. It doesn't put the thought in their head. In fact, again, what it does is saying, I'm here for you. I'm going to take care of you and you're going to get the help you, you need. Sometimes it's tough, but that's our role as a parent. That's why we're not their friends. We're their parents. It's our obligation to make sure that they'll be safe and they'll be secure and know that we'll get them help as soon as needed. And that brings up counseling. Where and when do you introduce that idea with your child or or try to uh, get them to see the benefits of it and and agree to it? Yeah, that's that's another conversation. That's part two of the conversation of uh, what I've noticed, what's going on with you. And then it's putting together some of the facts, putting together some of the details. And at a point uh, of saying to them, you know, I, I think we need to get some help. We can do it as a family. You can offer that. Uh, we can do it individually. You can have it individually. But what you're talking about is something that I think that uh, I, as a parent, I might not be able to do myself, but reaching out to others. And you can say, look, I'd like you to try it for two or three sessions, see how you feel about it. If it doesn't work out, maybe there'll be somebody else. But we do think that this is important for you. So again, you're, you're being direct with them. You're giving them some options, some flexibility. You can let them know that. Um, and sometimes even for a parent to say, look, if, if I see this is getting worse, you're not going to have any de- decision making on this, that we need to get you in as a family. Uh, we think this is important. And some kids may respond better to family sessions or sessions with a parent, and some may be uh, interested in individual. And I will mention that many agencies, outpatient agencies and even schools will have groups. And sometimes kids identify better with other kids who are dealing with the same issues. So you may have a group of kids with ADHD. You may have a group of kids who um, need uh, help with their coping skills. You may have a group of kids who are children of parents who are alcoholics. Uh, So they can identify with other kids their age and see that I'm not the only one who has the problem. And and for many uh, kids, group is is a really wonderful and a great way to deal with and, and talk freely about what they're going through. Is there any age that's too young to bring up mental health or feelings? You know, you and I as an adult, we can verbalize, right? We can say, oh, what a tough day I had, or I'm angry today, or I have to put up with that again. And, and then we go and we do whatever we need to do to decompress, to cope, right? We've come up with our coping strategies and hopefully they've been effective. But what do you do with, with little kids? You know, how, what do you do with young children? Well, our role as a parent is to help them label their emotions, right? It, it's, they have a right to their feelings, but often I'll say to parents, they don't have a right to do everything with them. For, for example, when we see, we go into a grocery store and we see a kid having a tantrum, you know, what is that tantrum really about? You know, they're yelling, I, I want that cereal and the, the Lucky Charms or the Cheerios goes flying uh, down the aisle 
and then we move on and we say, well, I'm glad I'm not that parent, you know. Um, really what's happening there is that it's a call for help. They're acting out their inner conflict because they're feeling helpless. They're, they're not in control and they don't know what to do with their feelings. So it's our role as parents to help contain the feelings and, and part of doing that is giving them labels. So I want, you know, you may be feeling angry right now, or you may be feeling pissed off right now, or you seem so elated right now. We're teaching them how to verbalize so that as they get older, and I see this with patients, I see this with families, they get better at adapting to that stress. And, and I know, you know, adolescents now who can, who can talk about themselves and say, you know, I'm really stressed out because this happened and that happened. And you wonder, who are they? You know, the, the, I wasn't uh, taught that, you know, when, when I grew up. And, and so if we can start young uh, and understand, you know, what stress is, how we can deal with our emotions in a more positive, fruitful manner, um, I, I think that's going to help generations. And I, I think it's going to help a family. And, a, and I do say, you know, our culture, as we are dealing with more and more stress in our lives. Scott Bloom, thank you so much for coming by the Chill Factory and sharing your incredible experience and simple way of making these complex, stressful issues seem like things that are addressable. So thank you so much. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure, Jordan. Thank you for having me. We have more about Scott, plus mental health resources for your kids and you in the show notes. Let's talk naps. About one-third to one-half of us take naps on a regular basis. The optimal time to reap a nap's benefits seems to be 20 minutes. Napping for too long can cause extreme grogginess for hours. Boy, do I know that one. And if you're not tired but want to take a nap anyway, go for it. But know that naps can also make it really difficult to fall asleep and stay asleep that night. There are two tracks in the Chill Factory app's Sonic Spa called Naptime 10 and Naptime 20. And they ease you into your nap with a quick body relaxer. Relax your legs through your feet. Let them feel heavy. Leave you be with some interruption blocking white noise and then bring you out of your nap with some gentle wake-up chimes. It's like having your own nap assistant, and you can download the Chill Factory app from the App Store or Google Play, and just enter the password NAPTIME, one word, so that you can enjoy all of the app's chill features for free for one year from the original post date of this episode. It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. We have more resources at thechillfactory.net, and you can leave a voice comment or question there. Just look for the blue tab on the right side of any site page. Be sure to subscribe or follow The Chill Factory so you'll know when new episodes are available. And if you liked something you heard on this or any episode, 
We'd love it if you rated or reviewed The Chill Factory wherever you get your podcasts. And as Mae Jemison, the first black woman astronaut, said, never be limited by other people's limited imaginations.